Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA, what you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. At the end of the year, I got to talk with my CPA who I trusted. You know, I, she was seasoned. Um, she charged a lot, so I thought she knew what she was doing. And Here I was listening to Robert Kiyosaki telling me to do all of these things, and I was taking his step-by-step -step guidance. And then over here, I get with the CPA, and she's like, no, you can't do that. You can't write it off. You're doing everything wrong. So by default, um, that got me in a lot of trouble. She gave me a, a huge tax bill to the tune of about $70,000 for that year. Aside, aside from her, um, her bill that I, you know, her invoice that was like thirteen, fifteen hundred dollars per return. It was weird, but. Welcome to the Share the Wealth Show, where minority professionals can learn to escape the racial wealth gap and catapult themselves into abundance. Your host, Nicole Pendergrass, grew her net worth from being negative to multiple six figures. Join her on her investigative mission to expose secret strategies of the wealthy so we can all have the tools needed to build the life and legacy we were created to possess. Now it's time for the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of the Share the Wealth Show. This is the show where we talk about the strategies to grow, protect, and build minority wealth. And today I have with me Miss Verlene Davis. And I just can't wait to, to jump into your story and really dig out because you're doing so many things and every piece of it is like critical. Like I just, I don't even know how you're handling all this stuff. And people ask me how I do all the stuff that I do, but everything to me just seems so intentional with everything is kind of interconnected and that doesn't normally happen for a lot of people. So I know that people are, have no clue what I'm talking about, but I'm just going to really quickly go over your bio. Um, you are a tax strategist and your journey began by default. Um, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is like, you know, majority of us who get started and trying to do something different. Um, and you were determined to break out of the nine to five lifestyle and get to the other side, the other quadrant of investor. Mm -hmm. So I, I, your bio is just is so, okay. You became a landlord, you're a real estate professional. I know you also, I'm just going to go from the LinkedIn bio because <laughs> it's easier for me to comprehend because you got so much stuff going on. Okay. Property manager, investor, realtor, and now tax strategist. Wow, right. that's crazy. There's so many different pieces, but they all fit together. Like, how did that come up about? And how, like, what was first kind of go instead of me reading this story, why don't you tell, tell everyone yeah. how you kind of got into all those different fields? 
Absolutely. And thank you, Nicole, for having such a platform. I want to congratulate you and thank you on that because it's much needed. Believe me, this is like gold, like gold. If anyone hears this and if you just sit, um, there's so much information out there, but it's kind of watered down and it's um, misinformation, actually. Right. So we're being led astray in so many different areas. But Mm -hmm. you have a podcast, too, as well, though, right? Yes, I do. Tax Talk. Yes. Yes, and yes. I, I definitely have not gotten to check that out, but that is on my list because that already sounds like something I need to listen to like every day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so you wanted to know about my background and my background, like I said, was by default. So what happened was um, some years ago, I was reading the Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was going to all of those seminars in New York for real estate investors and whatnot. And I'm like, I got to do this. I got to figure out a way to break through. And I was a young single mom at that time. So I was like, I got to get to the other side. So I did. I said, let me go out and purchase some properties, right? Let me buy them outright cash. And I did. I bought maybe four at one time. And I was excited. I was like, this is what Robert Kiyosaki said to do. This, I'm doing it, right? So I was doing that. The properties were cash flowing. Um, Some things in there I was doing wrong, but I didn't know. You don't know what you don't know, which was I was using my own money, which was, you know, a no-no. I know that now and I can teach others that. But then at the end of the year, I got to talk with my CPA who I trusted. You know, she was seasoned. Um, she charged a lot. So I thought she knew what she was doing. And, you know, I kept running into these pitfalls when it was time to file my taxes, where it was like, you can't do that. You can't, you can't um, write off that home office, even though you don't live there at all. It was just um, dedicated for me going from, you know, New York to New Jersey to, you know, upstate New York or Pennsylvania. It was a midpoint. She said, you can't write that off. So I'm like, okay, a CPS is telling me this. So I better believe her. You know, she knows the tax code. She knows I don't want to trigger audit. Um, you're not a real estate professional, and which we could talk about a little later, the definition of a real estate professional is someone that does it and they don't have anything else that they're doing. So that makes you a real estate professional by default. And I was not working. This was what I was doing, you know, every day of my life. And she said, you can't do that. And she kept telling me these reasons. I cannot, I cannot, and I cannot. And like I told you in the um, summary that I, that I wrote to you, like my balloon was it was going down. Like I was losing air. I was losing steam because here I was listening to Robert Kiyosaki telling me to do all these things. And I was taking his step-by-step guidance. And then over here, I get with the CPA and she was like, no, you can't do that. You can't write it off. You're doing everything wrong. So by default, um, that got me in a lot of trouble. She gave me a a huge tax bill to the tune of about $70,000 for that year. Aside, aside from her, um, her bill that I, you know, her invoice that was like $1,300, $1,500 per return. It was weird, but yeah. So I kept saying, you know, there has to be more. And I didn't know what that more was at that time. I didn't know what that more was, but I was like, this is not it because Robert Kiyosaki and the Donald Trumps and the people that are, you know, heavy into real estate, they wouldn't make it the way they do if this was the case. Right. So I just studied and I kept meeting more CPAs and, you know, um, kind of evaluating, analyzing, asking a lot of questions, right? Questions on questions on questions. And I came to the realization that not all tax professionals or CPAs are created equally. They don't think alike. They don't study the same things. So what I realized was I was, I was maxing out at somebody else's ceiling, right? What they knew their their level of um 
you know, uh, using strategies or, or going further or, you know, updating their skill set. I was maxing out at that point. So I was like, you know, there's more. So like you said, I do a lot, but this came in pieces. I didn't jump out there and say, hey, I'm a tax strategist now. So I had to keep learning and learning and learning. Um, and then you want me to continue? I can continue from what took me yeah. into property management. Okay, wait, wait, I do want you to continue, but really quick, just before we move on, you said you bought four properties like out front. Like how did you finance that if you're using your own money? You paid just, cash? Yeah, I had cash. I had cash. So you just saved up enough for four properties? Like how yeah. did you do that? I had savings saved up and um, up in this area where I was at, it was uh, upstate New York, very close to Albany or in uh, Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, you could find properties for, you know, 60,000, 50,000, 30,000. And these are cash flowing properties, right? That's been some time ago and I haven't checked the market recently in that area, but this was an area um, where you can purchase these properties like this and they cash flowing and they already have tenants in them. So yeah, I don't know if that's the same story, but hey, jump on it. You know, there was little areas like um, uh, on the outskirts of Albany, mm -hmm. there's little pockets and I don't know if it still exists, but I, I managed to look up and find some properties up there. And I got in a network up there with some other real estate professionals. And it was kind of like, hey, I don't want this property and you want it. And then we were just passing mm -hmm. properties off to each other like that. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Like, how'd you even start that search? Like if you were living in that area or were you in, in New York City? How did you have the confidence to just jump in and buy properties that either weren't buy you or buy so many at one time? Because that's the hurdle I think a lot of people have. Like they're scared to, to make that actual move and take action. Right, yeah. And when I was going to these seminars, that's a great question. Um, I knew that the strategies that they were teaching me in these books and these seminars, I couldn't pull that off in New York City. I knew that <laughs> I'm gonna either have to move far, you know, downstate somewhere or, so I said, let me try within New York State. Let me broaden my search. And that's where I found like a pot of gold in the New York State, not the city. Yeah. yeah. I have heard about um, Albany area and the prices being pretty low and reasonable. But then it's also one of those areas where like you need to know what's going on in the area. It could be block by block. Like it could be rough in some spots. But I mean, when you're in New York City, nothing else is pretty rough. Right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, much don't scare you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that having the 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 courage to take what you are learning, to plug into other networks and just not be afraid to take action and just get started. That's that's fantastic to a way. Like you never get to that next phase until you start taking steps because you don't know, like you thought you were going in this direction and buying these single family properties and then you end up, you know, in other areas. But that probably wouldn't have happened if you didn't start there first. You know right. what I mean? Listen, I know you've been digging in, studying everything you can, listening to all the podcasts, reading all the books, even going to meetups. You basically have a degree from YouTube University, right? But you still feel stuck. You don't know how to actually implement what you've learned. You're nervous about taking the next step. And with the economy like it is, especially with a downturn looming, you're even thinking maybe you should just wait it out. I know you've heard that real estate makes more millionaires than any other asset class, but you know what else? 
more millionaires are made in a downturn than any other market cycle. So now is the perfect time to jump in and really get started. I'm super bullish on growing my portfolio this year, and I don't want you to miss out. So I've decided to start the Microfamily Investing Accelerator. This is a mentorship program where I personally guide you through my five proprietary pillars. So you can learn how to buy your first commercial multifamily property and scale while not biting off more than you can chew by focusing on five to 20 units. That's what I call microfamily. And so you can also get hands-on guidance from an experienced microfamily investor, me, who's been right where you are, nervous about how to start. And so you can also create the cash flow needed to give you freedom and options to build the abundant life that you were destined to live. So I'll be limiting the first cohort to five students because they'll have direct access to me and I will be heavily invested in their success. If you're ready to grab 2023 by the horns, schedule a free discovery call with me today. The link is in the show notes. Let's hit the ground running in 2023. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. And now let's get back to the show. So, all right, you could go ahead and, and continue with the, the next phase of the journey. Yeah. So then I moved um, from up north to Florida. So this opened up another, you know, um, uh, set of opportunities here, right? Um, I did have um, a rock bottom time in my life, you know, going through a divorce and, you know, struggling and no family here in Florida. I was like a, a lone wolf down here. So I had to figure things out quickly. And what I did at that time was I got into property management because I already had that, that skill set from up north. So I was like, okay, let me, you know, use this down here. And I got into property management, um, you know, in the multifamily side. So thousand unit properties, managing them, operating them. Um, and I've just loved it so much. It's still a piece of me. It's my heart, right? So I got so good in doing that, that now companies usually call me and when they have having issues with um, something is not right with the asset. So I can come in and I'm usually within 30 to 45 days able to kind of figure out what is happening with this property. Is it a staffing issue? Is it you know, our marketing, is it maintenance? Is it, you know, what are the rents like? So I get in fairly quickly as a consultant and I'm able to pinpoint what's happening on site and give them a, a devised plan to move forward to fix those issues. So that was the property management side of it, right? So I feel really good and confident that I can jump on any asset and kind of evaluate what's happening, but I wanted more. I wanted more than that. I wanted to know how do we break this down with tax strategies? How do we run cost segregations? How do we bonus depreciate these assets out? So I had a need to, again, hop again, because I wanted to know that side of things, right? Yes, I could run a property. That's cool. But I wanted to know the back end of it. So that's what led me into the tax side of things, like seeing how we break down these assets on a tax level. Yeah. Mm. Wow, this is kind of crazy. And the fact that I already know you're a different breed because you actually like property management. <laughs> That's like, it's a thankless job, right? Is, is you have to deal most of the time people are calling you when there's issues, right? Yeah. So you're like constant fire putter outer. Yes. I don't know if that's a word, but anyway. <laughs> But yeah, so, and and you just found the joy in that. And that just speaks to your personality and certain traits. And that's that's where everyone has different skill sets, right? And things that they have an inclination for. And when you're looking to either find your path or um, get certain things done, 
if if that's not up your alley, then you need to find a partner who has the strength where you are not strong in that area. And that kind of is where great partnerships and just knowing your, or not knowing, but like trying to find your strength and what you can add to the table or, or what your superpower is to help you with the next phase of your journey. So that's, that's really great. All right. And before we go on, I just want to, um, throw in there that you would think that the owners and the investors in such properties, thousand units, you know, they have it all together. Maybe they have the strategist or the team put together. And that's so far from the truth, right? So most of these assets are upside down and they're just sitting there, like, usually like twiddling their thumbs. Like, and when I come on board, I'm like, no, this is not how it's supposed to be. We, we are not supposed to be sitting at 90% occupied. Why? We have to reverse engineer why we sitting here. Is it the market? Is it the, the clientele? Is it the, you know, geographical? Let's change it. Let's fix up some things. So, yeah, um, I find I do. I'm a nerd in that area, I guess you can say. Well, yeah. that sounds good to me because I'm kind of nerdy when it comes to that, that kind of stuff. My patience <laughs> for actually figuring it out is another thing, <laughs> but I, I constantly have to even like my property management company, I feel like they just go with the flow mm -hmm. and I need to sit down and rein in and look at numbers and ask the questions and like, okay, I know I'm a small fish in your big ocean and all the properties that you manage because I don't have like a thousand unit with this property manager, but I still need to have certain metrics met. I still need to have answers for why, you know, the cash flow is there or not there. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I think whether you're on the property manager side or you're on the investor side, hopefully your property manager is, is being like you are with the properties and really dissecting and making sure things are operating efficiently because um, that's what they're supposed to be doing. But I, I get both sides of it. Like I get it. Like there's a lot of balls moving and stuff, but that's why you have to optimize systems and kind of know how to dig in. So how did you get so good at property management, especially of large units when you you were property managing yourself like four units you yeah. know it's a whole different animal in it managing like an apartment complex than a single family residence so how did you kind of learn the skill set there yeah it was definitely a learning curve right and um I, the one word that would jump out at me is hunger I was hungry Right. So I came in and I had to prove myself. I didn't jump up to property manager right away. I had to prove myself because that was the question. You coming from residential properties into this is a different beast, blah, blah, blah. But what they didn't realize was I was hungry. <laughs> so and I was from up north. So I was going to figure this thing out. So <laughs> I got into leasing. I was like, let me show you what I can do. I got into leasing and within a, you know, probably a year, I went to assistant manager. That's the one that's, you know, now my position is doing the books, collecting the rents, sending people to evictions, doing all like that. And within probably another year, eight months to a year, I was already moved up to property management. Um, I had even one company that I was working with, they said, you do so well at collecting, right? You do so well at collecting on bad debt, making sure people pay their rent. The way you talk to them, you make people want to pay their rent, right? Um, they actually um, created an in, internal collection division for me to run. So yeah. Nice. Property management. Yeah. Property management is... Um, I think a lot of people take it lightly and a lot of property management companies that I ran across, like you said, they're going to do what this, as long as the market is doing the same thing, they're cool with it, right? That's what our competitors are doing, right? We ran the mm -hmm. cons. 
but I, I always want to go for further and beyond. I need to figure out how we can do better than our comps, right? Mm. Not linger around because they're lingering around at 90. That means it's okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. And you know what? Coming from up north and New Yorkers, they just move different than people down <laughs> south. Yeah. With everything, it's a little bit more urgency because up here, everything is quick, quick, quick. If you move too slow, you miss it, right? Yeah. So we just, you take that because it's habit. Take it down there. Okay. Taxes. So then you wanted to go deeper and did you like, you had to go back to school, I'm assuming, to become a CPA? Like what was that process like? What were some of like your first projects? Like what's your normal clientele? Right. So when I got into this side of it, I had to figure out taxes. Are, there's different levels to taxes, right? There's tax preparation. Um, that's kind of like the front end surface level using a software to um, kind of gather some numbers for you, some deductions. And that's the end of that. I wanted to go further. So it would be the difference between um, your primary care doctor and a brain surgeon. I wanted to be on a brain surgeon side of things, right? So what I did was I teamed up with some CPAs and I you know, kind of worked with them side by side. I brought in my own clientele. I studied the tax code. I studied, you know, uh, case law. I look at some of the publications and I just was educating myself because now remember, I still got a burning pain in me from what that CPA did to me many years ago. So it's still in my head. That fire is still burning. I'm like, I have to figure this out. So I got with some CPAs um, and worked side by side with them and figured out, you know, what was happening in that scenario. And nine and a half out of 10 people that I speak with kind of say the same thing. My CPA doesn't talk with me. They don't answer any questions. They don't have time for me. They're not saving me any money. They're not doing any of that. So I said, okay, there's a breakdown here. And a large percent of this breakdown is communication, right? So I said, man, I got to get in this area. So that's what a tax strategist is. So I work with CPAs. I'm not a CPA. I do not want to be a CPA on purpose. I do not want to go back to school or further my education. My job is to come in like the um, brain surgeon and I have to figure out the problem as fast as humanly possible. Why are you paying, you know, $200,000? Because a lot of my clients are high W-2 earners, right? And they have that tax bill with that, that taxable income sitting there and it's really high. And I have to figure out, tell me your lifestyle. So when my clients come on board, they tell me their lifestyle, what's happening, what's your plans for the future, what's you, are you married or single, do you own real estate, do you want to own real estate, do you have a side thing that you or your wife do on the side, you have a college fund set up for your children, what's your retirement like, what's your health coverage like, I need to know all of these things, and then I go back and I devise a plan out of the tax code, right? Uh, whip them up a nice little plan where we can make everything kind of almost pre-tax, your health coverage, mm -hmm. write it off, right? Mm -hmm. We can set up college funds that are other than the 529. Because usually if you go to your CPA, they're like, oh, get a 529 college fund. Mm -hmm. Well, we're kind of putting our children on payroll a different way, right? So where we have access to the funds to do what we want to to pay our children so they could go buy their video games. They can, you know, do whatever they want to do. That's all pre-tax dollars. A okay. lot of people, yeah, oh, a lot of ahead. people, they let the, the IRS take, 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 take everything they take and what's left over, then they live their lifestyle off of what's left over. So in tax strategy, we flip it upside down. We make sure that we write off everything we have to, and we give the IRS what's left over, right? I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that yeah. so much. Okay. Yeah. So what is, what is this 
I want to dig a little deep in some areas. The, the 529 alternative that you're discussing, what kind of strategy is that? Um, the 529 alternative would be to put your children on payroll, right? The IRS allows mm. us to pay our children, you know, $12,950 per year per child. Mm-hmm. They have to be doing something, right? They have to be doing like, my children help me with, you know, setting up technology. I don't know how to do most of this stuff, right? They, they're helping me with my social media accounts. They're, you know, the little one that's like nine years old, she, she takes care of the office, right? She's teaching me about TikTok. So I have job descriptions for them. So it's not like they're not doing anything, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, um, what we would do is we would open up a custodial bank account and I'm able to put $12,950 per child into these bank accounts for them as payroll, right? Mm -hmm. And what that does is it brings down my taxable income. So it's a win. It's, It's dropping my taxable income. And it also, they don't have to pay taxes on it because they have yeah. the threshold. So that's a win-win situation right there. Okay. Yeah, I definitely have heard about that. And if, but what if the person is, is a W-2 employee and doesn't have some type of side business or, you know, a business that they would be able to put their kids on payroll for, you know what I'm saying? Or was, does someone just start a business? I mean, you can just open an LLC, but what have you seen people do to try to get their kids on the payroll. Yeah, most people are doing it whether they know it or not. So a lot of my uh, clients are uh, IT engineers, right? So on W-2 paper, they're, on W-2, they're making $400,000, $500,000 on W-2. But then when I dig deeper, remember that conversation? What do you do? What do you like doing? Well, I'll consult on the side. Okay, then that's your side business, mm-hmm. right? That's what you do outside of the W-2 job, nine to five. You consultant, that is your business. So we can write off your home office. Now we can write off your cell phone. We can write off your meals. We can write off your vehicle. We can put your children on payroll. It opens up the door to a whole nother world now, right? Mm, okay. So a lot right. of people are doing it and they don't know they're doing it. And yes. that's where the conversation is. It comes into play and it's so valuable. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if they, I guess if they're consulting, they're getting some type of payment for that and they could just open the entity and make sure that that's separate coming in. Um, Now, I know in the beginning you mentioned about the real estate professional status that your CPA told you 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 were not. Um, So you said it's as easy as not have, if you don't have another job, you can claim real estate professional status. But like, I've tried to, I've studied, not studied, studied it. Like I've listened to some very in-depth podcasts about it, <laughs> but now I'm definitely not no expert, yeah. but can you dig more into real estate professional status for people who don't know what that is and what that entails, like what the criteria are to be able to claim that on your taxes and what, what you, what it does for you? Right. So a lot of um, taxpayers and clients that I have, they say, I'm just a person with, um, two or three properties. They, I'm just a person with two or three properties. Um, so that's what you would think. And that's probably what you were told. Um, there are two tests to become a real estate professional. And one of them is you have to uh, work, materially participate on your real estate 750 hours per year, which when you break it down, that's not a lot. It's probably like 14 hours per week or something like that. But if you have a nine to five job, that's going to be hard to prove to the IRS that you can you know, do a nine to five job and then 15 hours a week or so on this property over here. Um, however, if you have a spouse that they work part-time or they don't work, like a lot of 
my uh, clients say, oh, my wife, she's just a stay at home wife. You know, that's her job. That's what she does. And, and I'm like, no, that gives you access to become a real estate professional. So she's not just a stay at home wife. You know what I mean? If we mm. paint this picture out the proper way that now makes you real estate professionals, mm. right? Mm-hmm. By, de- by default through the spouse. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so that's the only one was, I know you said it was two. What's the second one? Um, the second one is the short-term rental status. So I just got into something recently and this is, is very indicative of Mary, my girl that told me you can't do this and you can't do that. So what I do with my CPA, my team of CPAs is I do the tax plan, right? For my clients, I formulate it and then I ship it over to the CPAs to, you know, implement. Now we go into implementation. Well, I sent over the plan and one of my clients and the CPA said, you can't do this. And there were those words again. You can't do this because those are trigger words. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Then the New York comes out. Yeah. Um, He he told my client, you can't do this. And he kind of emailed me and said, you can't do this because he works a full-time job and there's no way that we will ever be able to, you know, classify him as a real estate professional. And I said, um, there's a short-term strategy, a short-term um, investor uh, part in there where it says that you only have to work uh, 100 hours. There's a 100-hour rule. And he was like, I don't see that. I don't know that. I never saw that in my life. Now, this was a CPA that's been in business for probably 15, 20 years. He said, I never saw this. I said, oh, yeah, it's in there, and I'll send you the publication on it. Actually, you can hop on Bigger Pockets and hear about it. Um, and then he sent me some publications. He, like, shot me off some publications, like, see, I told you. And I'm like, okay, well, if you look in the tax code and I gave him that snippet of the tax code, yes, it does say the 750 at the top. But if you look way down deep, there's a, you know, there's another section that says, or 100 hours, right? On your short-term rental. So it took him some time, but he did apologize. And he said, I never saw that before. I never knew about it. And I apologize to that, you know, I went that far sending you publications and whatnot. And I said, it's okay. So that right there again, showed me how my position plays as the middleman, as the advocator, as the fighter for the taxpayer, because I'm going to go deeper, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's publications, which most CPAs, they look at publications. And then there's um, uh, the tax code. And on top of the tax code, what would trump that would be case study, case law. So that means, you know, that's that's the end all be all when it then went to court and the case was heard out and a decision was made. So yeah, um, as you can see, the, the the power in communication, right? And having these conversations, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, you're fine. Um, so the 100 hours, because I, I did listen, the, the podcast that I was listening to was by Brandon, the CPA, the real estate CPA, who's really associated with Bigger Pockets. Okay. He did a super in-depth, um, him and another uh, uh, CPA, super in-depth um podcast and like booklet and pamphlet all all this stuff like ebook about um real estate professional status and the short-term rental status and with 100 hours it's you have to materially participate more than any other person right right? yes okay so i was looking i hate my loss limitations right i still have full-time w2 and then if you start making a certain amount of money your loss limitation cap keeps going down less less it phases out right I, so I was like, all right, I got to, I got to stop this. Like, what can I do? So I was studying STR a lot so that I could get involved in that. But then the other thing is, is it can be very management intensive. 
And I know with my W2 and my two kids, I have two toddlers, I don't have time to be checking on patient, um, not patient, uh, customer bookings and all that kind of stuff. And so I was looking at all the strategies to automate as much and make it as little as possible. But then that in that case, I really can't do that if I want to have that write-off ability, right? You can't really do what? Which part are you referring like to? Like automate most of the processes so that like I can be as hands off as possible. Because even what's 100, 100 hours divided by 52 weeks? Oh, that's like two hours a week. Yeah, yes. So when you, two hours a week plus work more than anybody else on the project. Right. So when you say um, uh, hand automating, if you're talking about an app, like um, if you put your, your property on Airbnb, right? Yeah. For example, they only do, but so much, that's just a platform, like a scheduling platform to make sure you get paid. They schedule it out and all like that, but you're really, you know, scheduling the cleaners. You're really uh, scheduling. But then out. What about the cleaners? The cleaners then are technically working on it more than me, right? Because they're, they are cleaning between bookings. No, no, there's a lot oh. in what you can do remotely, even if it's set up as an automated, you know, process. Okay. You're doing, a, you're, you're doing a lot more than you think of. And that's where the log comes into effect, right? That real estate professional log where you have to log everything, mm-hmm. you know, it's on the phone, my cleaners cut out on me. I, it took me, you know, three hours to call and search. I'm searching for new cleaners to come in and, um, you know, my, my maintenance team, right? My maintenance team, all of these things, if you have to buy things, right, for the property, um, that is still you hands-on because Airbnb mm. is only doing but so much. It's just, yeah. the, you know, the platform, but you're still, and you can still prove to the IRS via your log how much you're actually doing, how much okay. you actually participate in. Okay. Cause so my my assumption was just that because cleaners and maintenance guys would be there physically hands-on more than I am doing work, that I, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be doing more work than them. But um I get it. Like there is just a little bit more documentation you gotta have, but it's doable. You just gotta right. make sure. Okay. Now, how about active? Because I was just having this conversation today with someone. Um, active losses versus passive losses right? Because not everything, everything there in, those are two distinct buckets in like the tax CPA world and what you can write off against which type of income. So when you're doing a, I guess, short-term rental is active income, but then regular rental is passive and long-term rental is passive income. So if you have a active W-2 job, well, then active income with active income with short-term rentals, that's why you can write off every right. day. Okay, okay. But if you have passive loss limitations from real estate and you have an active job, okay, so let me do that because I'm still saying the same question. So this is a situation, right? You <laughs> yeah. have the person working, the high income earner and mm-hmm. their spouse who is stay at home or does their own thing on the side. Right. Right. So the spouse applies for real estate professional status. Mm-hmm. And so anything that you can write off from rental properties is what would would go against the passive income that you're getting from the rental properties. But it wouldn't go against the active income from the other spouse. Is that right? 
I'm just trying to understand like how this all works together. Yeah, that one spouse with the foot in the door, the stay-at-home mom or dad, that now gives you access to real estate professional status, um, status, which means there are no caps no more. It's unlimited losses. So yeah. So it doesn't matter that it's unlimited losses against active income too. It doesn't matter what type of income it is. It's just unlimited losses against any income. Right. Correct. Ah. So that offset that the W2, the, the other partner's income. Ah, okay. And now we can offset that tax liability using the stay-at-home mom or dad, or, you know, they have a side hustle or they work part-time because mm-hmm. now we can draw out the picture that they have time, right? They have time to work on these properties and this business. Yeah. So what if it's a couple that doesn't have any properties yet, but they want to have properties so that they can take advantage of this, this write-off and they're build, they're in the process of building up their business, but they haven't gotten properties yet. Like, are you still able to claim real estate professional status if you're in the business building phase and you haven't bought a property yet? No, no, okay. you can't. You have to actually have the properties. You have okay. they have to be in service in order for you to, you know, get the real estate professional status. Um there are so many things that we could go on and on forever on this call. We can set up like <laughs> management companies. We can set up consulting companies. So to answer your question, they can do other things up until they get those properties. The other mm. things could be um, consultant companies. It could be, um, you know, everything that it takes for them to get ready. That's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That is in between what you want to do. And then when you purchase the property, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right we can set up an entity for that. That's a business in itself, right? Because you're actively looking for these properties. You're, you know, doing research, you're meeting with realtors, you're doing all of these things. Mm -hmm. So you are doing something, but you can't get um, real estate professional status until you actually have properties in service. Mm, But there's other other tax strategies in order to increase your write-off ability before, while you're working towards that. Okay. Yeah, you know, it could be, Uber, you could be an Uber driver, you can be DoorDash, you can do, it doesn't have to be these big, grand, elaborate, you know, consulting companies and management companies. It doesn't have to be, it could be, you know, one one person is an Uber driver or you have a W-2 and you're an Uber driver, we still now can write off all of your daily expenses, the cell phone, the, you know, your home office, we can write off, you know, your vehicle expenses. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be grand and elaborate it can be mm. a nine to five with something that you do on the side which makes okay. you a business owner. Mm-hmm. okay okay guys don't kill me but i'm gonna have to cut this episode short this is too juicy and we need to do this in a part two so stay tuned for the next episode that airs and you can hear the rest of our conversation did you love this episode of share the wealth show be sure to connect with nicole by following her on linkedin instagram or facebook If you picked up any of the gems that were dropped by today's guest, make sure you not only put them in your bag, but if you know of someone who would benefit from this information, don't keep it to yourself. Share the wealth and make sure to leave us a rating and review. We'll see you for next week's episode. Subscribe so you'll be notified. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, 
and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.